0: Shalom. Y'all bow with me. Father Yahweh, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. Father, we thank you for the fellowship we have here, the facility that you've blessed us with, Father, and the journey we've all taken on our own path to you, Father. And uh, we pray that the words that I speak be edifying to the body and glorifying to you. And ultimately, Father, we just praise you, we love you, and we thank you in Yeshua's name. Hallelujah. So is good enough good enough? When Ryan made this graphic, he asked me if I liked it. I said it was good enough. <laughs> so it's hard. To be fair, it's a hard one to come up with a it's good enough. But um so it's gonna be pointed at a mindset. This message is gonna be kind of it's gonna be pointed at a mindset that's pretty common. And um, I know I rely on this a lot whenever I'm up here, but just my experience with the ministry, with working with people over the phones and things like that, um, I t- that that's what I know because that's all I deal with It's just people and and uh, good enough is a very common, they don't say, oh, what I'm doing is good enough, but they they imply that what they're doing is good enough and I, f- I fear that we can all fall into that and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, I hear things like, well, he knows my heart, or he knows what I mean when I say this or when I do this, or, well, that doesn't mean that to me. Like, I don't, I know that that's dictionary definition of wrong, but it doesn't mean that to me. Um, So what do these things mean? And why do I hear them so often? And I know if anybody has done any sort of evangelism or witnessing or talking with you know, friends and family and coworkers and stuff. I know you've heard all these things as well. And it's really quite simple why we hear them. And Yahweh does indeed know our hearts, but what does it really mean? Does it mean that if we try really hard that a wicked act would be deemed as righteous? I mean, if your heart is truly set on it, like if you, if, let's say you're a thief And if you really feel good about it, like I'm doing this for the right reasons, that 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 theft is going to become a good thing. Obviously, that is not the case. Over in uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, I'm going to be reading off the back monitors because our one up here is on the fritz. So Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I Yahweh, search the heart. I examine the mind to reward a man according to his way by what deeds he deserve, but what his deeds deserve. So, yeah, Yahweh does know your heart. He absolutely knows your heart, but there's another key here. He knows the mind as well. And so a lot of people like to try to skirtle around this issue here where, well, my heart's in the right place, but is your mind and heart in the right place? And hearts are wicked beyond cure. So what, what then does that mean? Anything we yearn for in our hearts is wicked? No, that's obviously not what he's saying. But it is our nature of a fleshly heart to lean into wickedness. That's the, if man is left to his own devices. That's one of, the, one of the things my dad used to say was proof for creation. Was that there was a book written telling man to live opposite of his nature. And if man was left to his own devices, he never would write it on his own. So that man's heart is conditioned in its fallen state for wickedness. So that's what Yahweh means when he says, "I read the heart, I can see the heart," and it is deceitful among all things, above all things. And deceitful means that it's lying to you, so just because you feel something in your heart is good, you have to prove it. You have to prove it. Like Scripture states, prove all things. And just because something appears to be on the up and up on the surface doesn't mean it gets a pass. One of, the most common is I, one of the most common examples I can really think of, and this is just one that I happen to deal with more often than the others, is the celebration of man's holidays. I hear it all the time. And actually, I took the liberty, I didn't put their names on it, but I actually copy and pasted some of the comments that I read that, that come to me, in, in uh, contrast to what we believe, they say, no, 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 that's not right. And I'm going to, you guys get to see what I see. So, <laughs> so it's, it's unedited, it's all right there. Now, no, don't worry, there's no filthy language in there or anything like that. But this is what I, these are the type of comments I get to see. So these are from YouTube concerning man-made days. So the first one, whoop, quote, there is no pagan tradition. That celebrates the risen savior. So unless you can point me to a real source which do that, you will only have proven that the name is tainted with paganism. That has little to no value 1,200 years after the primary usage of the term because the descriptor of a Christian celebration and is not a reason to not celebrate it either corporately or personally. So yeah, I get it. It's bad. But it's been so long. It's been 1,200 years. It does, it's not what it means. No, not a good reason to not celebrate this. Speaking of Easter, of course. And then here's the next one. The origins of Easter are with our blessed Lord Jesus Christ and nowhere else. Except for the spiritually blind who prefer to imagine the darkness of their ignorance asphyxiated as it is in the hopelessness of paganism and unbelief. That will not redeem you. Only the light of Christ and his redemption will. So if you know, if you acknowledge what's wrong, it's because you're asphyxiated in disbelief. Next one. <laughs> Since he's our creator, why should we surrender any day on the calendar to pagans? Why can't we take a day away from the enemy and rededicate it to G.O.D.? Another example of me thinking on this, why should we surrender the rainbow to the alphabet people? It says, G.O.D. created the science of rainbows as a sign of his promise to mankind. I view this as a reclaiming of territory for for. The L-O-R-D, am I correct? So in, in taking something pagan and reclaiming it and slapping a coat of paint on it, you're reclaiming territory in their mind. Next one. <laughs> the best thing to do is stop pointing fingers and show the world who G-O-D is. When you celebrate your birthday on Sunday, it doesn't mean you are adoring the go adoring the G-O-Ds, adoring the gods. It is just a time set aside for you to strengthen your relationship with G.O.D. The names of the days are just human creativity. Christianity does not worship the days and their inscriptions from history. G.O.D. created everything and everything was good. And so in in everything, Christianity sees the glory of G.O.D., who himself reveals himself to us. Get this from me. Faith will always confuse your hearts until you realize that it is G.O.D.'s own initiative and gift Never think reason will ever surpass faith. So don't let those pesky facts get in the way. It's, it's unbelievable sometimes. And I, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to come down on these people. It's the, it's the, you can kind of read it in their comments. It's the arrogance of that ignorance that they have. They think that, well, there's no way I could be wrong in this. And so what do all these comments have in common? Every single one of them removes the onus of obedience to the word. That is the common thread amongst nearly all the comments I get on YouTube. Is the onus of obedience is gone. It's gone. If you simply believe in your heart hard enough, Yahweh will, not, Yahweh will see your sin as righteousness. And it is sin. It is sin. And I don't want to come across as harsh. And Yahweh can indeed wink at our ignorance. But ignorance is no excuse when push comes to shove. It's our job to dispel ignorance and proclaim the truth. That's why we're here. That's what we that's what we do. If we see sin, we cry aloud and we go out into the highways and the byways and we profess that truth to the people. It's not a it's not a get out of jail free card that I don't feel that way about this paganism. That's not that's not how it works. Even by the own Bible that they read, it's not how it works. So when someone comes across, and don't worry, this is not going to be just all on the holidays. This is just example numero uno. So when someone says that this holiday, this pagan holiday, well, it doesn't mean that to me. We have to be able to address that issue biblically. So let's give a few examples of good enough, or he knows what I mean, or he knows my heart. Over in Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 through 3. This is a pretty popular one. This is one that's... We don't know what was in, in these folks' heart, but Yahweh evidently did. And Nadab and Abahu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it. And they offered profane fire before Yahweh, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from Yahweh and devoured them. And they died before Yahweh. And Moses said to Aaron... This is what Yahweh spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. That would be hard. Imagine your two sons are, well, their heart was in the right place, right? They had no ill intentions of bringing this profane fire that was not commanded. That's what made it profane. It was not commanded. But they did it anyway. They lit up the censers, and they put the incense on it, and they offered profane fire, and Yahweh... It killed them, and Aaron held his peace. Now, what was, now what, what was exactly that these two gentlemen did wrong? Well, did they offer something unclean? No. Did they use a tool they weren't supposed to use? No. There's only one thing they did, and it was they offered fire that was not commanded. That's it. Their intentions weren't ever relevant. What they meant to do with that was never relevant. The only thing that was relevant was that it wasn't commanded. I thought incense was good. Why didn't Yahweh look at it as like a free will offering, right? Didn't he read their heart and find out what they intended to do? Yes, he did. He read Aaron's son's hearts and he knew that they knew better than to offer something he never asked for. Yahweh doesn't like surprises in this regard. He's very specific on how he desires to be worshipped. Nadab and Abihu knew this, and they still acted on what they wanted to do. And these were the sons of Aaron, for crying out loud. I mean, they had responsibility to keep things in order, and they, they failed. They failed. And this is a pretty extreme example, but there's more. How about the story of Uzzah? And the ark. If there's one cautionary tale in scripture about stepping outside of Yahweh's commands, even with good intentions, it's this one. It's short and it's not sweet, but it's very to the point. As we know, the ark was only to to be carried by the Levites using the rods that were inserted to the side that carried it on their shoulders. That's how it was supposed to be carried. Over in 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, about 30,000 in all. He and his men sent out from Bala to Judah to bring up from there the Ark of Elohim, which is called by the name, the name of Yahweh Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the Ark. They set the Ark of the Elohim on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of Elohim on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. And David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before Yahweh, with songs, with harps, with lyres, tambourines, sistrums and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon... Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of Elohim because the oxen stumbled. And Yahweh's anger burned against Uzzah because of this irreverent act. Therefore, Elohim struck him down, and he died beside the Ark of Elohim. So here we have David. I mean, he's walking. He's got this, this big procession. He's got celebration. It's a joyous occasion. As it should be. It should be. But he took a shortcut. He knew that the Levites were the only ones that were to carry the ark. He knew exactly how it was to be carried. And he stuck it on a cart, carried by oxen. And here's Uzzah, who, through no fault of his own, was forced to... He had a choice. He could either let the ark fall to the ground, which who knows what would have happened if that went down. He had a choice. He could... Steady, steady the uh, the ark and touch it and keep it from falling, or he could let it fall. Now, was Uzzah wrong in doing that? Was his intention clear? I think it was clear. The oxen stumbled. He was doing what I believe probably any one of us would try to do, was to keep it from hitting the ground. But that intention was not enough. It was the disobedience of David that led to this horrible conclusion. David knew better. It didn't... The the timbrels, the lyres, the voices, the celebration, none of that mattered. Yahweh didn't speak about how happy he was with the people celebrating. What he did was he killed the man for failing to stick to the program. Did Yahweh see Uzzah's heart? Didn't he see that intention when he touched it? Of course he did. so just because something again and this is all a uh, this is all a byproduct all of this is a byproduct of sin if we have sin in our lives even if you're doing something with good intention yeah it might be the right thing to do but because sin led you to that point don't always expect a happy outcome from doing the right thing because the right thing in this case was still disobedience it's that's the dangerous part about sin, is it gets you into a trap to where you have no choice. No matter what you do, you're going to be wrapped up in it. and You're going to reap, you're going to reap of sin. It's just how it works. So what about the argument that it all belongs to Yahweh anyway? So what difference does it make if we re- as long as we rededicate it to him? Like the quote said before, since L-O-R-D is the creator, why should we surrender any day on the calendar to pagans? Why can't we take the day away from the enemy and rededicate it to G-O-D? Over in Deuteronomy chapter 12, 1 through 4. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which Yahweh your Elohim of your fathers has given you to possess. All the days that you live on the earth. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their mighty ones on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars and break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down their carved images of their, of their Elohim and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship Yahweh your Elohim with such things. So yes, Yahweh created all things, including the stone and the wood and everything else that was used to make these altars and these symbols to these other Elohim. And it does all belong to him. But he says right here, essentially, yeah, don't do that. Don't rededicate that That to me. I don't want it. I don't want it. He's explicit in the way he wants to be worshipped. We don't need to reclaim anything for him. What does Yahweh say? If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. He doesn't need us to do this for him. He's got it. He's got it. Believe me, he's got it. He's very clear on what we are and are not to do. And we, and we don't need to concern ourselves with man's days or traditions and, and, hey, you know what Yahweh would really like is if we just did this for him. He doesn't need it. Not only does Yahweh not need us to claim man's days for his sake and rededicate them, he does not want us to do that. Over in the book of Amos, Yahweh is speaking to Israel. And Israel, surprise, surprise, has gotten off into paganism again. And they were not following Yahweh's commanded days, and they were attacking those who spoke uprightly. Over in Amos chapter 5, 21 through 27, I hate. Now, that's a, that is a strong way to start. I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your and peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years of house of Israel? You also carried Sikuth, your king, and Shiun, your idols, and the star of your Elohim, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, saith Yahweh, whose name is the Elohim of hosts. Yahweh does not desire the lives of a rebellious and wicked people. How can we really expect his mercy when we run around doing the opposite of what he asks? Yahweh says, do not worship me like the heathen. Man says, I have a great idea. How about we take what the heathen do, put a fresh coat of paint on it, and rededicate it to the Father. Yahweh says, these are my feast days in Leviticus 23. They're a statute forever, forever, to all your generations. Man says, that's great, but these days mean a lot to me personally, and I like my family time. So not only am I going to ignore yours, but I'm going to replace them with my own. They use this broken logic to demonize anybody who disagrees with them. I see it all the time. Hundreds of comments from hundreds of people. And they say things like, oh, you don't celebrate Easter. What, are you not glad he was resurrected? Isn't that worth celebrating? Yes, that's an actual quote from somebody. Because we don't celebrate Easter, we hate him. They get so caught up in their own way that they cannot see the forest for the trees. They claim G.O.D. is in charge and that they have faith in him while ignoring every single thing he says. And I don't want this to come across like I'm venting, but I am a little. (laughs) I am a little, a little. And I understand that it's just like, again, they don't know any better. And that's why it's important that we do what we do. It's not fair to them for us to come out guns blazing you know, cutting them down at the knees and all this other stuff about their beliefs and how silly it is that they do what they do. But it is important that they understand what they're doing is wrong. Over in Isaiah, chapter 29, verse 13. Speak unto the children of Israel and say to them concerning the feast of Yahweh, which ye shall proclaim to be a holy convocation, even the, oh, it's Leviticus 23. Oops, that was earlier. (laughs) Next slide, therefore Yahweh said, "Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear tor- toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Now this is, this is an extremely powerful verse. Inasmuch as these people draw near with me, even though these people they draw near to me, though they, they, they pay lip service to them, they honor me with their lips, but they have removed their hearts far from me." And their fear towards me is taught by the commandments of men. So they fear Yahweh for the wrong reasons. Their fear of Yahweh is taught by the commandment of men. Not by, no, they don't fear Yahweh for his own commandments, to, to live a righteous life. They fear them because they've been told by people that if they, if they stray outside the church's doctrine or, the, or whatever's doctrine, they're going to spend eternity in hell, writhing in pain. The Messiah repeated this in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So here you have Yahshua, the Messiah. And, then, and this is in the New Testament. That's one thing you've got to be careful of if you're trying to evangelize to people. If you can prove a point from the New Testament, do it. Because that's going to be where they want to hear it from. Man claims to have the father and son at the forefront of their lives. They talk about how much like days like Easter and Christmas and they mean to them because it brings back memories of family gatherings and peace among men. And... But Yahweh says and Yahweh says over in Amos to Israel who were... Your feast days and your, your gatherings, I don't, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. But just because something appeals in your heart doesn't mean that, it, and just because it means something to you doesn't mean anything. Just because you're celebrating his son doesn't mean that <laughs> Yahweh's okay with it. All of these are invalid reasons. Yahweh doesn't care for our days. And again, days—the days that I'm talking about—this is that you could replace days with anything. Anything. The way our daily walk, the way we talk to each other, the words we use—it could. The days is just a small subsection of a larger problem. He doesn't care about what it means to you. That's not to say he doesn't care. But when it comes to his worship, he doesn't. He has, the only thing he cares is that you do it the way we're told to do it. And there's a reason for it. How can we claim to love Yahweh in our hearts when we ignore him? And this is a point. This is the point we have to try to drive home to those people outside and I don't mean just at YRM, I mean anywhere anywhere, there's people scattered all over the world that have that truth and have that yearning for that light on the hill, and anybody we talk to, this is the point we have to drive home, is what Yahshua said you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me they worship me, teaching his doctrine the commandments of men that's exactly what they're doing and, they, and, the old, and you'll run into a 10 million different justifications for why it's okay. Do you really love the Father? And this is a question I ask people. How can you say you, you truly love the Father with all your heart, mind, and soul when you can't tell me when the, when's the last time you celebrated Passover? Or Feast of Unleavened Bread? Or... Threw the pork out of your fridge. You love him, right? The world is diametrically opposed to Yahweh's will. Yes, those cozy fires, the Xmas trees, and gift-giving or warm family moments would make anyone feel special. But it is how it makes you feel really important, especially considering the commands and warnings that are ignored in order to make these days a reality. Yes, it feels good. Yes, it looks good. But... It's also wicked. It doesn't matter how much we try to justify it. Scripture states, what is and isn't wicked. And the things that appeal to the hearts of men, Yahweh's not a fan. And I don't want, and I and again, I don't want to come across as holier than now. All I want to do is give those people who are wrapped up in these things a reality check. It sounds a little strange, but Yahweh's extremely specific in how and just exactly how he wants to be worshipped. Leviticus 23 makes it abundantly clear. The days of worship Yahweh lays out are his days and not Israel's. So they're not Jewish days. Oh, you keep that Jewish Sabbath? Israel doesn't have a Sabbath. Yahweh has a Sabbath. Now there's more to discuss. And I feel like I've you know rambled on about the days enough. And it isn't just about the days and celebrations either. These are just, again, the most well-known aspects of man's selfishness bleeding over into worship. It's all about reducing yourself and increasing those around you. Increasing the glory we give to the Father. Less of us, more of him. I mean, think about it. We're going to be in the, Yahweh willing, you're going to be in the millennial reign, you're going to be in the kingdom, worshiping Yahweh for all eternity. Do you think he's really going to ask us how we would do it? I mean, think, just give that just a minute to think about that. You're sitting there before the throne, and he says, hey, what do we do next? (laughs) Come on. Anyway. (laughs) It's all about reducing yourself again. Many times we try to justify our sin or even lessen the degree to which we are held accountable for sin. How many times have you heard, well, Yahweh hates sin, not the sinner? That's a, that old chestnut gets brought up all the time. And I think there is something to that saying. I do. But I don't believe it's quite as simple as they try to make it sound. Think about this. Over in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, there are six things that Yahweh hates Seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord amongst the brethren. So, yes, Yahweh hates sin. But in every single one of the instances given, these sins hold no power unless there is a person willing to commit them. Sin has no power unless it can penetrate the hearts of man. That's what makes it so dangerous, because we're so weak, we're so feeble, our hearts are so just wistful, and they just, they're fickle. And sin clings on, and you've got to fight for your dear life to let, get it to let go. So Yahweh hates sin, but sin is impossible without us to commit it. <laughs> sin is a byproduct of man's disobedience. So, if hating the sin, not is hating the sin not the sinner enough? Is it good enough? Is hating sin enough to keep the sin from happening? Evidently not. Yahweh hates the sin. But yet, here we are. If we see someone who's neck deep in, we, in sin and we say, man, say you find an alcoholic and you say, man, I hate your alcoholism. Is it actually doing anything Are you doing anything for that person telling them that, man, that alcoholism, I hate it. Telling somebody or tact who this warns against. He hates it. But he also hates it when his people continue in that sin. Ask yourself this. Does Yahweh send sin to the lake fire? Or is it sinners, the wicked, that he destroys? How many times did Yahweh destroy towns because people refused to hear his word? Why didn't Yahweh simply destroy the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Rain fire down on the sin. Why did all those poor people have to die? Unless we remove and repent, sin is inseparable from the sinner. So it's not appropriate to say that Yahweh loves the sinner but hates the sin when it comes to everyone everywhere, without exception. There is an exception with believers, and he does love those who love him, and it's very possible to love him and be a sinner. Look at King David. But again, it's a two-way street. It's not, it's not a, a once-and-done thing. You have to, it's a continual thing. You have to live your life every day in repentance and working your way back to him. So Yahweh does love us as sinners. But that, that's not going to be enough if we don't stop what we're doing that is wrong. That's not going to be enough to get us into the kingdom. We have to turn to him. He's already looking for us. We've got to look for him. If we're talking about the general population of earth, Yahweh says in 2 Peter 3.9 that he would will that none would perish. Nobody. If he had it his way, everybody would repent and everybody would turn to him. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, this is the conclusion of the matter. Fear Yahweh and keep his commandments. This is the duty of mankind. Everyone, not just Israel, everyone. Yahweh has made it very clear what he wants from his people. Not just his people, but the world around them. But to separate sin." as its own entity that like resides outside of the human body, that Yahweh hates outside our scope. It's not... I don't think I agree with that. We have to hold each other accountable. We have to confess our wrongs one to another. We have to be willing to humble ourselves to keep sin as far away from the body as possible. And I don't mean... Well, confessing wrongs to one another, I think that's another one that's kind of miscommunicated. I think that's generally, I think that's just simply saying, if I wrong Chris, I need to go to Chris, and I need to make it right. Confess what I've done as wrong, and make it right. The world's been given, well, let me back up a little bit. Yahweh hates the sin that's invested, infested the hearts of man. It is our duty to be the light on the hill and call the people out of the world to get them to recognize that sin and actively fight against it. Imagine having a disease that you don't know you have and there's a cure and this is how you get rid of it. It's like if you have a, a diabetes or something like that. There's, there's, there's things you have to do. Like certain foods you have to eat. You have to live a rigorous lifestyle to keep it under control. The same way with sin. You have to live a rigorous lifestyle to keep that sin under control. Paul talks about it. He died daily, kept his body under constant subjugation. And the reason this is a problem is because when we sit there and we accept Yahweh hates the sin, not the sinner, it gives a safety blanket of sorts. It gives people an excuse or they become numb. There's no consequence for their sin. Oh, he hates the sin that I'm committing, but not me. And the sinner is given a false sense of security. And that is the most dangerous thing that could possibly happen in this life, is if somebody who is in danger of being cast into the lake of fire and being destroyed forever thinks they're on, they're on the up and up. Why? Because they never take the opportunity to make it right. Sin is of no real consequence in the world. I mean, think about it. Large swaths of, of uh, Christianity and also even reformed like Judaism, a lot of them, reformed, uh, most modern religions have essentially said that because of the grace of Messiah, there's nothing, you, it's ir, you can't, you can't you, what is it, irresistible grace. There's nothing you can do to undo that blessing. That's exactly what Jude warned about. It's only one chapter, but Jude said it in verse 4. There are men that have crept in among you, unawares, that have turned the grace of our Messiah into license for sin. None of this is about what we want. It isn't about how any of this makes us feel. It's about maximizing the glory that Yahweh gets and furthering the cause of the kingdom. Over in Mark chapter 14. There it is. And he said to them, uh, yes, Mark chapter 14, verse 34 through 38. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even unto death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Yahshua was preparing himself to die at this point. And he made it extremely clear how it made him feel. You know, this didn't make him feel very good. My soul is very sorrowful even unto death. He knew Yahweh's will. He knew that it would cost him his life, and yet he stated, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. How this made Yeshua feel is of no consequence to his directive and his obedience. So even though something might make you feel good, if it, if it leads to disobedience, then it's, sorry, Yeshua proved it right here. He went forth with the Yahweh's will despite his feelings and desires. And then we have to do the same thing. Yeshua is our example. He walked so we could imitate him. So if you find yourself participating in events or celebrations or around people that's not maybe quite on the up and up, you're doing things that aren't found in Scripture, especially days that are dedicated to the Father, things like that, ask yourself, what is Yahweh's will in this? Does he will that I celebrate Christmas, for example? Or am I allowing my will to supersede his and to interfere with his? his, Excuse me. If you know someone who's wrapped up in sin, do you try to justify that sin? Do you stick with the tried, true, Yahweh hates the sin, not the sinner? Or do you play an active role in helping them overcome it? Do you hate the alcoholism or do you fight with that person to help them overcome that horrible addiction that they've got? That we need to make this one a fruitful one. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 all scripture is breathed out by Elohim and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training and righteousness. That the man of Elohim may be competent and equipped for every good work. We've got everything we need right here. You want to know what makes Yahweh happy? It's right here. You want to know what days make him joyous? It's right here. If you want to know what day, how not to do it, it's right here. You want to know how to help your friend? It's right here. You want to know how to help yourself? It's right here. It's all here. This is the greatest toolbox that we could ever hope for. We do not need to guess what Yahweh wants from his people. He's not some, I know a lot of times, oh, it's a mystery. We see through a glass darkly. Yeah, sure, we do. There's a lot of things we don't understand. But pleasing Yahweh is not one of them. We know exactly what he wants. It's it's right out of all the things that are a mystery to us. That's not one of them. It's all written down. We don't need to concoct some extra way to give him honor. He has it. It's done. It's taken care of. He doesn't need your help in that. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of Elohim is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If what you desire for Yahweh cannot be proven by the word, do yourself a favor and find something else to do. We cannot impose our desires on Yahweh. He won't stand for it, and he won't accept it. I mean, there are many examples of this in Scripture. I gave a couple and thankfully, we have the Messiah to, inter, to intercede on our behalf now. So, when we do something that's not right, we're not just struck down. We have just an opportunity to repent for something like that. And we can't hide. Excuse me. We can't hide behind Yahweh's mercy and grace, which is like we, we sing about it all the time. We hear about it all the time. We read about it all the time. This this grace and this mercy and this love that He has for His people. But we can't use that as a cover for ignoring sin. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I think everybody understands what I'm talking about, but you can't use the shadow of his wings as shelter while you're deviating your own plans underneath it. When we do that, we not only put ourselves at risk, but we put those who struggle around us at risk. Sin is inherently a selfish thing. And it damages everyone around you. Look at David. David knew how to carry that ark, but he did it the wrong way anyway. And because of his selfishness, Uzzah died. I use this a lot. Uh, Brother Bannock, he, he says it, and I tell you, I agree with it 110%. We are to make sin our mortal enemy. And that is so true. That is so true. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Come on. There it goes. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, I don't want anybody to misunderstand even for a second. I do not mean that we need to embarrass a struggling brother or sister. But if you know of a sin... Your brother is relying on you to help them. We all are. This is how we keep the body clean. This is how we keep the body strong in exposing wickedness and helping each other to overcome it. We have to correct these things in love, with compassion. Over in 1 Thessalonians 5 9 through 22. For Elohim has not desired for us, us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our master, Yahshua Messiah, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in Yahweh and admonish you, and esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Elohim and Messiah, Yahshua, for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Being a brother or sister in this walk is hard. Because it's not, you can't just see somebody on Sabbath and that's good enough. You know, we have to be actively involved and help each other. If somebody's struggling, and that's the thing, if you're struggling, to be a broken and humble vessel before Yahweh and before his people is the only way you will find your way forward from this. To ask for help is one of the hardest things that you could do. I know I struggle with it. I know other people struggle with it. I know I'm not the only one. But to be humble in that, to throw yourself at the feet of the Messiah as a sinner and acknowledge that that is what you are and that you need redemption from this, It's the only way. And that's the hard, that's what makes this walk so hard. It's not the abstaining from eating pork. It's not keeping the Sabbath. It's not keeping the feast. Those are easy. Those are the fun part of all this. It's weeding out this sin, it's weeding out this deep rooted wickedness that we have in our lives. And to be able to express that to people who are completely outside of our bubble in a way that is humbling, in a way that is gentle, in a way that is productive for the kingdom. That's the hard part. To reduce yourself so much that you're willing to have those uncomfortable conversations with people. Ugh, I love talking. I don't need to tell anybody that. But man, that is, that is a tough one. And for those who are new to this or simply asking questions about the holidays or, and, and their validity and things like that, just keep digging I use, again, I use the days because that is something that everybody knows. Everybody knows about Christmas. It doesn't matter whether you're Christian or Muslim or Jewish or atheist. Everybody knows what Christmas is. They shove it down everyone's throat every single year. If you're looking into those things, again, I use it as an example. Read Leviticus 23. The study, study the ties of Yahweh's days and times to the return of Yahshua and the coming kingdom. Study those things and show yourself approved. I pray this message has been at least a little encouraging. And I pray that Yahweh opens our eyes to his will. And if we're able to cast our own will aside. Pray that he gives us the resolve of Messiah when it comes to acting on his will. That even though death may be staring us in the face, that we have that resolve to say, look, you know how I feel about this, but it's not about what I want. To have that, to have that strength in the word, could you imagine having that faith to stand with death in your face and say, Yahweh, if this is possible to uh, skirt me around this one, I'll take it. But if not, it's not about what I want. And I pray that he blesses us with love and encouragement that we read about in 1 Thessalonians. We have to be a light on the hill, not just for the world, but for each other, because it's easy to kind of let our candle go dim once in a while. So with that, may God bless you.